the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. So the Supreme Court case yesterday, Supreme Court ruling rather, got a ton of attention. Uh, as it should have. It's good news. I don't think it's the great news that everybody trumpeted it as. I understand the Daily Wire, the first entity to file suit, private entity, to file suit against the Biden administration for its attempt to require a vaccine mandate on companies, employees, where the company employs more than 100 people. I get the Daily Wire taking the victory lap on it. They invested the time, had the courage to stand up and fight it. Some other companies joined them. Regrettably, not enough companies that purport to be uh, Christian companies, authentic companies. Uh, regrettably, not enough companies did that. Nevertheless, I don't think it was the victory lap that we all say, because I think the line between winning that and losing that was extremely thin, uncomfortably thin to me. I mean, we already lost the other half of this argument with Brett Kavanaugh, a Trump appointee, and John Roberts, the chief justice of the court appointed by George Bush, joining with the three liberal justices to say, no, it's okay if facilities that get Medicare and Medicaid payments, it's okay if they require their employees to get vaccinated because, I mean, if you want the federal money, then you got to do what the feds say. Well, how many of us are addicted to federal money? If you get child tax care credits, if you get federal unemployment benefits, if you get federal health insurance, (laughs) does that exempt you in the future? That's an uncomfortable line that I'm not going to say couldn't be used against you. So that's my view of this whole thing. Again, we are perilously close to having elections in our country overturned in terms of the way they're conducted, the line protecting us there are two Democratic senators. Not even somebody of our own party. Like, I'm I'm very grateful for Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin. I'm grateful that they are uh, saying things like they're saying, holding up against the Biden administration's clearly partisan attempt to fabricate election integrity and call it voter suppression. But these are two Democratic senators. These are not people who share much in common with us at all. And we are we are relying on them to be the line holding back, ingraining into law, voting policies and procedures that contributed greatly to Joe Biden's win in the presidential election. 
That's how thin the line is. So that's my view of the whole Supreme Court thing yesterday, and everybody wants to celebrate, and, oh, it's over. I don't think it's over at all. And the next presidential election is going to be extremely consequential. And we can't have anybody who is a conservative justice, we can't have anything bad happen to them. Although I would debate whether Brett Kavanaugh is really a conservative justice. But getting less attention than the Supreme Court ruling was a ruling by the Ohio Supreme Court. And in the same vein, we have a Chief Justice, Maureen O'Connor, who supposedly leans Republican, but she sure can't tell it by the way that she ruled. Because now the Republicans in the state have to go back to the drawing board and start again drawing House and Senate maps because the maps that they drew have been deemed unconstitutional. Now, what is the court's issue with this? Well, the court's issue with this is that Ohio typically votes about 55% Republican and 45% Democrat. But that the districts drawn for the House races and the state Senate races are likely to yield hmm, 75 to 80% Republican results. And so the powers that be on the court and a lot of the Democrats in the state whine and complain that the districts are drawn in a way that advantages Republicans at the expense of Democrats. Well, I'm not going to deny that that's taking place. That is, to me an outgrowth of winning. And I do not for a second believe that if Democrats had control of this process, they would do it any differently. In fact, I think they would do it less fairly. But let me approach it on a non-political suspicion front. The claim of the court and of opponents of the maps that were drawn is that the districts were finagled with so that Republicans could win. I'm looking at the map right here, and I can't bring you into my studio to look at it. It doesn't look to me like we have any weird, meandering districts, like they always say that we do. What we have in the state of Ohio is a state that is distinctly divided between rural and urban areas. Right? We have the Cleveland area, big city. We have Columbus, growing, thriving city. We have Cincinnati. And then we have other cities like Toledo and Youngstown and Dayton. Okay. If you ever look at a presidential map of the state of Ohio and of the United States of America after a presidential election, what do you see? They'll divide it up. Red and blue. These are the areas that voted For Republicans, red states, these are the areas that voted for Democrats, blue states. But if they ever detail it more than just by state, you will see that the overwhelming majority of the United States of America, square mile-wise, votes Republican. But that, in your 
major metropolitan cities throughout the country, where most of the population in each state is concentrated, those cities vote Democrat. And the amount of people concentrated in a small area voting for Democrats many times offsets what people out in the rural areas, where there aren't as many people, what kind of political viewpoint they have. So you have in New York City millions and millions and millions of people that trumps what people out in the country, in the areas of New York that our country, think and want. So New York is a Democratic state. California, San Francisco, L.A., Sacramento, San Diego, heavily Democrat. The rest of California, Bakersfield, your rural areas, Fresno, not so Democrat. Doesn't matter. The cities win out. They outnumber the rural areas. Well, in Ohio, we still have enough people living rurally that we outnumber the cities. So getting back to the big argument on the maps, on dividing up the congressional districts, they say they always want the districts to be geographically authentic. We don't want it to meander for 10 counties or whatever just to bring in a bunch of rural areas so that we can get rid of an area that would otherwise vote Democrat. But that's not what I see when I look at this map. The, the opponents of the map are just mad that not enough people live in the cities that when you divide it up by 14 congressional districts, that they're going to win more than three or four districts. So I don't see the big problem here that everybody else does with these districts. I think what you see is the will of the people in the state of Ohio being done by the way these districts are drawn. In that most people in the state of Ohio, because we outnumber the people who live in the cities, our cities are big, but they're not that big. The people in the rural areas are getting what they want. And the people who are losing those fights are not getting what they want, so they make a lot of noise. And in this case, the court was responsive to that noise, which I think is not merited in this particular case. Now, what was Mike DeWine's reaction to the federal Supreme Court ruling? He, of course, was happy about it. Dave Yost, his attorney general, was one of 27 attorneys general, uh, which which had attached themselves to the case trying to get the response. DeWine's comment, I'm pleased by the U.S. Supreme Court decision. Government should neither prevent employers from enacting safety protocols, nor should it require... Excuse me, nor should it require employers to mandate vaccine decisions. Today's decision is consistent with these principles. But again, don't think the battle is over, because I do not think for one second this administration is going to stop pushing where it does not belong. The Biden administration will continue its push for vaccines on the youngest Americans. The numbers are not pleasing to the administration on percentage of kids being vaccinated. 54% of U.S. kids ages 12 to 17, 65% say they've had at least one dose. But the number among the youngest Americans, ages 5 to 11, 
That number is far, far lower. Only 18%. Now, I am not surprised at that number. And again, I want to make clear, I've never, ever said, don't get vaccinated, don't get your child vaccinated. I will tell you that I'm not going to get my kids vaccinated because when I look at the data and I see what the issues are proven mathematically with COVID in kids of that age, and we're blessed, we have healthy kids, athletic kids, active kids, to me it's not a trade-off, it's not a risk I'm willing to run. That decision is your decision as a parent. It is not my decision. It is not the government's decision. So I know I reflect a great degree of skepticism on these vaccines, and I know that I speak passionately and even sometimes angrily about the government trying to force you to do it, and I don't want you to mistake my passion and my anger and my objection for me telling you what to do. I would never tell you what to do with your kid or with your own body. So Ohio's average is 16%. A little bit under the national average of kids 5 to 11 have been fully vaccinated, which is two doses. Wow, I'm surprised at that number. And 22% have at least one dose. In kids ages 12 to 17, those are the ages of my kids, the percentage in Ohio is 42%. I am surprised, and I would say I'm disappointed, when I see a doctor from Nationwide Children's. And I get it. I, I get it. They're in the healthcare profession. They believe in these things. They, they're they going to advocate for it. I just, boy, I just, um, I don't like to see it. I do not like to see it. Coming hard at parents. Uh, this doctor's name is Sarah Bodie. I'm going to assume it's B-O-D-E, so I'm going to assume it's Bodie. She said hesitancy among parents is one of the greatest hindrances to getting kids vaccinated. Yeah, you think? She tells the dispatch, parents of younger children are more hesitant to vaccinate their children against COVID-19 than parents of teenagers. Yeah, right. Parents have more questions about the vaccine's dosage, potential side effects, and how they might affect the child's development. And that's what parents should be concerned about. That is what parents should be concerned about. Like, again, the messaging on the vaccines has been amazingly inept. And I think just disconnected from a respect for people's well-founded skepticism. For instance, we know that we had vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, right? And then we had a Johnson & Johnson vaccine that was quote-unquote, old technology. And a lot of the people who were uncomfortable with messenger RNA technology, reprogramming your body's DNA, whoops, that makes me a little uncomfortable, I'm going to get the old-style vaccine. Okay, okay. Up front, that was fine. Then we got into a thing where they started coming around with boosters, and then they said, ah, on the booster... If you got the Moderna, you can get the Pfizer booster. If you got the Pfizer, you can get the Moderna booster. Now, these two vaccines, however similar they are, they're birthed by competing healthcare conglomerates. They got to be a little bit different, don't they? 
Is that a reasonable question to ask? I think it's a reasonable question to ask. But you were told on something as important as a chemical that could remake or re-engineer or at least impact the DNA in your body. Eh, it doesn't matter what you get. Just, just get it. The approach landed cavalierly on many people and added to the skepticism that people had over these vaccines. I think that's understandable. The people who want you to get it, the people who keep hounding you to get it, ah, they just dismiss your concerns out of hand. You have to address people's concerns in a respectful way if you want them to come around and join your way of thinking. You cannot demean people into getting them to agree with you. You might be able to threaten them with their job, with their ability to go get dinner at a restaurant or something like that. You will have a certain amount of people who will respond to that, which is not going to get you the widespread results that you want. Now, I've said, don't celebrate too often. What could be the next move? Ah, wouldn't surprise me if the Biden administration goes the route of our neighbors to the north. In Canada... The province of Quebec will impose a, quote, significant, unquote, tax on the unvaccinated. 10% of Quebec citizens have not been vaccinated, and their premier in that province says this leads to costs for the health care system and that they will thus enact a significant tax penalty. Those who refuse to get their first doses in the coming weeks will have to pay a new health contribution on their taxes. It's a question of fairness. For 90% of the population have made some sacrifices. We owe them. This is not a unique perspective. In Greece, people older than age 60 have until Sunday to get their first COVID shot, or they will be fined $113 for every month they remain unvaccinated. In Austria, the health minister announced last month they will fine people $4,000 who do not acquiesce to a vaccine mandate for all citizens age 14 and older. In Italy, those 50 and older are required to be vaccinated, and those failing to do so by the middle of next month will face fines of if they enter their workplaces. I don't put it past this country to try to do some kind of a tax, some kind of a penalty, some kind of a punitive measure to strong arm people to do what they clearly want you to do. I would think they'd lost on enough fronts lately that they would be looking to move on to something they could win. But I don't think this administration is great at identifying things on which it has a popular position. Maybe that should tell them something. But it likely will not. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.